This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. I'm Elliot Gotkin, and in this episode, how a cheesemaker turned his talents to fintech to help small businesses get access to finance, but not before bailing out of his other career as a pilot. In pitch dark nights, I had to land the plane on the on the runway whilst the alligator was still there. So I had to pass over the alligator, basically. <laughs> and my friend in the back, he said, I will never, ever in my entire life fly with you again. Rob Stratoff, CEO and founder of uh, Liberis, thanks so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks for having me over. Uh, so um, you're Dutch, but I understand you're, you're in London right now. Is that right? That is correct. Um, and and how are you, how you coping with all the, all the craziness over there? Um, look, the, the craziness in London is, uh, is equal to the craziness in the, re- the rest of London, or the rest of Europe, I think. Um, you know, the, the one good thing is that uh, we are way ahead with the vaccine. So uh, let's, let's hope that, uh, that benefits a quicker um, exit out of lockdown. Yeah, let's, uh, let's hope we can all go back to uh, whatever normal is once all of this is over. So obviously, it's also challenging times for so many people in so many ways, especially for small businesses. You're helping them get access to finance. But how does Libris differ from the likes of iWalker or Market Finance or any others that are offering uh, alternative finance to small and medium-sized businesses? Great. Um, so, look, the, the, the easiest way to um, uh, to you know see what Libris, how Libris differs from uh, from many of the other uh, competitors you man- mentioned is, um, you know, let's say you're a small business and you want to apply for uh, for a loan. Uh, if you go to a bank, uh, you're highly likely uh, either being rejected or you need five years of, of history or you need a lot of assets. Now, with IWACA, with um, uh, Funding Circle, with, uh, you know, with Cabbage in the US or OnDeck in the US, um, you come to their website, you apply, and then you get the money. Now, what if you can actually, before people apply, already have done all the, um, uh, the credit underwriting and actually they don't have to apply. You actually just have their data and you pre-approve them. Now that is what Liberus does. We are we are an embedded finance platform uh, that pre-approves customers, small businesses, uh, with the data from our partners, um, which basically means that you know they don't have to apply anymore. We already know that you know Elliot, you run a beautiful uh, flower shop on Main Street. Uh, we know all your data. We've pre-approved you for ten thousand pounds of funding. It's very nice. And and you kind of go you proactively reach out to people to say, hey, you've been pre-approved. We can lend you this, or it's just there. And then when someone comes to you uh, maybe after they hear this podcast or they hear from uh, other businesses it's there kind of ready and waiting for them correct so if you um, if you imagine uh, small businesses they are part of ecosystems that they already uh, that they already uh, use so whether it's an epos system whether it's uh, you know uh, an e-commerce uh, platform whether it's you know some of our partners worldpay uh, epos now um, you know we are part of their ecosystem so at the end of the day a small business logs on to their uh, to their um, uh, uh, you know website their um, uh, dashboard for worldpay uh, they see you know, on that dashboard, I've taken 300 pounds of, of uh, car takings today. Um, and they see a little widget that says, 
dear Elliot, you are pre-approved for £10,000 of working capital. Click here. Now, you click on that. At the same point, we do an, an additional few checks, KYC, KYB, um, making sure that uh, the, the application is genuine. Um, and you know, within under a second, you have your uh, pre-approved offer uh, right in front of your screen. And you can choose you know, whether you want 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. Uh, we go all the way up to 25. Uh, and in the future, we'll, we'll go further, much further than that. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a benefit. It's a few clicks and rather than a full application um, uh, to, to go through. And what kind of rates are, are you charging? So we go, the range? Um, it's, we go as low as um, uh, 6%, um, which, uh, you know, is, a, is about a percent a month. Uh, but we go all the way up to uh, 25 to 30%. And that's a factor rate. So what we do, it's, it's not a loan. Uh, we purchase future uh, receivables. So it's kind of like invoice finance. Um, and that means that, you know, um, there's no fixed repayment date. We charge you a percentage of your daily cash flows to repay uh, the advance that we give you. So an indication, somebody takes 10,000 um, pounds. You know, if you take 1,000 pounds a day and we take 10% of, um, uh, of that daily uh, amount, you repay us 100 pounds. So quick calculation, it takes you 100, 100 days to pay us back. And it flexes immediately with your cash flow. So if you have a very busy day, you pay back maybe 200 pounds. If you have a very, if you're closed, like right now, a lot of uh, retail businesses are closed due, due to COVID, you pay zero. And that's the absolute benefit. It flexes with your daily takings. Flexibility is obviously great, but isn't there a danger that at the end of it, you know, they end up paying, you know, much more to you than they would, uh, you know, perhaps with a, I mean, if they could get a bank, bank loan or perhaps uh, from another provider that calculates things on a, on a fixed, uh, you know, annual percentage rate or APR? Um, that's, that's an absolutely great question because, uh, because I love the answer so much. Um, the, um, we charge a fixed percentage or fixed, uh, uh, fee. So you will never pay more than that fixed fee. So what you need, what you see with, uh, credit cards and with loans, um, you know, is that people spiral out of control. You take out a thousand pounds, you never repay it. That thousand pounds becomes 2000 pounds. It becomes 3000 pounds with us. You can, your balance will never go up. So you can, we charge you, um, let's say you take a thousand, a thousand pounds, we charge you a 10% fee, you pay back 1100 pounds. And whether you pay that back in six months or 12 months, that fee never changes. And what kind of data are you using? I mean, where, where do you get access to, to rich enough data such that you can already pre-approve pretty much every small business in the UK or whichever market you're operating in? Um, so the, we work, we integrate directly with our, uh, with our partners. Uh, so the way that we are really different is um, we have an API. So if people go to developer.liberus.com, uh, you can see our, uh, our set of APIs. Um, you know, with one API, we can actually integrate into the, the, um, uh, the partner's database. So we get transaction data, we get you know, uh, all kind of augmented uh, information for our uh, credit decision. Uh, and you know, we, we get about, I would say, 10 to 11 uh, additional data points versus, um, uh, you know, versus what uh, people would get in the open market. And those are very, very specific to Liberus. And we have an algorithm, uh, we're version three right now, uh, that we've designed uh, that on the basis of machine learning actually uh, can pre-approve up to 80% of someone's customer base. Now, that means that 80% of small businesses uh, from that partner, so let's say, you know, uh, WorldPay has a few hundred thousand uh, customers, 80% of those customers get a pre-approved offer um, uh, through the one API, and it's instant. So we get the data, uh, uh, you know, from that API, we, um, uh, we assess it, and we bring back through that same API in their dashboard uh, an instant offer that people can click through. 
Uh, and we adjudicate that data with external data like um, uh, credit bureaus. Um, we use open banking if people uh, if people want to go through that journey. Uh, we use um, KYB, KYC uh, information from the credit bureaus. Uh, so we, we, we make sure that we have all the data that banks have and what alternative lenders have, plus all the um, what we call privileged data from our partners. So, so how many small businesses in the UK, what percentage of small businesses in the UK would already be pre-approved? Would it, you mentioned 80% of, say, yeah. WorldPay customers. Would it be of that order? In total, we have, um, uh, we have quite a few strategic partners live right now. We have over 10, uh, over 10 partners live. Uh, that covers approximately um, uh, just over a million small businesses uh, that can take out funding through us. Now, that, uh, from those million uh, businesses, some of them are not trading. Some of them are uh, either too small or some are, are too large. If you know, if a Tesco uh, wants to come for a, for a, uh, a cash advance to us, uh, it probably breaks my bank. <laughs> Maybe they're pre-approved. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so, we, of course, there's a, uh, there's a range of uh, ideal customers that we can serve. Um, so every single month, we make seven and a half million credit decisions um, uh, on the basis of that information. Seven and a half million credit uh, uh, points, data points that we use for making that information uh, and sending out um, uh, those, those pre-approved offers. And it's just the UK right now? So we're live in six countries, uh, Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, Northern Europe. Um, we're live in the UK and the US. Speaking, I've spoken with a number of alternative lenders uh, on this podcast uh, Christian Faze, chairman of LendInvest, uh, Anil Stocker, you know, uh, co-founder, CEO of, uh, of Market Finance. Uh, for some lenders, alternative lenders, not these ones specifically, but I know that it, it's been a challenging year in the sense that, you know, there's been a, a high risk of defaults um, and also sourcing capital uh, has also in some cases proved trickier for some alternative lenders. Uh, how has it been for Libris? Has it, has all that, has none of that been a problem for you? Have you been able to just keep growing and enjoy the benefits of digitization that so many you know uh, technology companies have enjoyed throughout the crisis I wish I could say that um, you know the crisis uh, only strengthened us um, and you know there's there's two two really good things have come out of the, the crisis number one is uh, our focus on partnerships and our focus on becoming uh, you know that embedded platform with partners was the right one we see a huge traction uh, of both partnerships onboarding uh, as well as us rolling out with those partners. And because we can see the data upfront, we know exactly which customers are you know, impacted by COVID, which customers are thriving through COVID, or which customers are you know, uh, shut down. So the ones that are shut down, we can offer them a, uh, a C-bills. Uh, Libras was one of the very first um, uh, companies being uh, approved for C-bills because we have the British Business Bank as, as one of our funders, one of our partners. Um, so we can offer them for closed businesses, we can offer them a C-bills or, uh, or they can get a bounce back loan from their bank. Um, for impacted businesses, we can still fund them, but probably a lower amount than what we used to do. Uh, for thriving businesses, we can actually lower the price because they're doing much better and we can, you know, we can see that data um, uh, to, to appropriately price them at that point. So that's the benefit of being an embedded platform. You have that data up front. Now, Needless to say, um, the government has thrown, um, rightfully so, a lot of money at small businesses to help them th- to help them survive this uh, this you know, incredible period, incredibly tough period, um, and um, that's been in, you know incredibly useful. Um, they've they've really helped a lot of businesses uh, get through it. And actually, um, the latest stat I read last week was that twenty five percent less defaults in two thousand twenty than two thousand nineteen. Um, so that's a, that's an incredible um, uh, stat. How Siebel's actually helped you help Libris as a business? Because I know speaking with, um, uh, for example, Cabbage in the United States, they were they received a massive boost from 
being one of the providers for you know uh, aid to small and medium-sized businesses so i'm just wondering if you experienced something similar with uh, with the government's um you know coronavirus business interruption loan scheme to give it its full name <laughs> um yeah that's a that's a mouthful um no, so uh, we we had limited take up of coronavirus business interruption loan scheme um, for the f- for the sole reason that um, when when it was launched uh, we uh, we were very enthusiastic about it. We thought this this will be the you know an incredible uh, benefit to Libris customers. Uh, but then uh, a few weeks after the the government also launched bounce back loans and coronavirus uh, the C bills loans only can uh, could cover up you know from fifty thousand pounds upwards. Now, needless to say, the majority of our customers wouldn't even be uh, eligible for £50,000 upwards because these are the small retail stores. It's a flower shop on, main, on, on the high street. It's uh, you know, the coffee shop. It's, uh, you know, it's the e-commerce site that, uh, that sells you know, £10,000 a month uh, through, uh, through the e-commerce platforms. Um, those are the kind of customers that we serve, and they don't qualify for £50,000 of coronavirus uh, uh, business interruption. So they took out their bounce-back loans, but we can't provide the bounce-back loans um, because they are so low-priced. I can't even borrow my money for two and a half percent annual interest. So let alone that I can I can lend it out to someone, um, and that was exactly the, the the problem for alternative finance. And you know, I'm not um, I'm not criticizing the government because you have to you know you have to roll out uh, this these kind of schemes through you know the larger banks to get them asap into uh, into the market. Um, but the alternative finance market is really impacted by uh, the bounce back scheme uh, because none of them could compete in it. None of them can make any money out of it, um, you know, and uh, it's unfair competition because none of them can actually l- lend money at two and a half percent. I mean, if you look at uh, the likes of um, Liberus, Funding Circle, Iwoka, uh, you know, if you go to their website, the average pricing is is way over two and a half percent. So, you know, it's unfair competition for us, and we're not being included in those programs. Um, so that's that's a kind of an oversight. But look. Uh, yeah, at least we uh, we didn't have the defaults um, in our back book because the government threw so much money at it. So every uh, every cloud is a silver lining, I guess. Right. So so just to summarize, as a business, Libris has done okay throughout the coronavirus pandemic, but hasn't experienced you know the kind of exponential growth that say you know e payment providers have. Correct. Correct. Um, that's a, that's a good summary. I mean, look, we 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 were lucky for two reasons. Um, one, we uh, raised capital. Uh, in uh, December 2019, which was uh, either the the, the most you know, the best timed uh, fundraise ever or just pure luck, I'll, I'll leave you to choose. Um, but it it was uh, you know it was incredibly helpful, and you know our shareholders, um, you know, FTV, Blanham Chocolate, have been incredibly supportive throughout uh, throughout the last year. Um, you know we we managed to we're actually cash flow break even right now, so we you know, we don't burn any cash. We can you know have a run rate um, uh, you know at least. 24 to 36 months ahead of us um, because of the, the cash. And then fortunately, our lenders, um, that's the British Business Bank, um, uh, Paragon and um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, they have actually refinanced our book in uh, December 2020. Uh, so we got a new um, uh, you know, a new uh, funding line from them uh, that extends us way into the future. And that, that has an accordion function so we can grow you know, exponentially uh, once uh, once things return to relative normal, I would say. Okay. Uh, just one final question on, on, on the business per se. You know, during this crisis, you, you've, you've obviously lent out a lot of money to, uh, to small businesses who perhaps otherwise would have already struggled. Have you got any particular examples or stories that stick in your mind as to you know business that libris was able to help 
actually uh, two incredible businesses. Um, one was a, a pub in uh, the north of England, and uh, the, the owner of the pub uh, basically turned his uh, his kitchen into um, uh, into uh, you know cooking meals for people who couldn't afford uh, school meals or you know had uh, had a tough time at this point. Um, and uh, he had taken out a, a cash advance for Liberus. Um, and you know, I was so touched by that story that he would actually put his um, personal money, uh, including the bounce back loan, to cook um, meals for uh, you know for the local residents that couldn't afford them anymore. Um, you know, these these are people who uh, had their kids at home and all of a sudden didn't have a job anymore and, and couldn't afford uh, couldn't afford the food on the table. Um, and you know. Needless to say, not only am I proud that Libris was supporting him and not, you know, not collecting money from him, but also the the fact that he um, managed to to support his local community is, is incredible. So I, I got into t- personal touch with the, with the uh, with the founder and actually donated some money uh, uh, to his uh, to his cause, which I thought was amazing. And then the the other one that I um, I always remember uh, uh, very very fondly is uh, I got a LinkedIn message from someone saying. Thank you so much for extending a, uh, a cash advance to to my business. Um, this was three four months ago. Um, you've you've helped save nine jobs, including my wife and mine. Uh, and I was you know stunned by that. And needless to say, those kind of pieces of feedback go through the company as well. So uh, makes makes you feel uh, you're you're in the right uh, you know in the right spot and in the right job at this point. Sure. Um, I, I guess uh, well. A slightly different uh, feeling, perhaps you got than when you were an investment banker, but we'll come to that in <laughs> in just a bit. But if I if I look on your website, I see obviously you're you're the CEO, but but you're not actually the founder of Liberus, is that right? That's correct. Um, I am. Uh, I was brought in about a year after uh, my current shareholders, shareholders bought it out. Um, and uh, so what what my shareholders did was they purchased uh, an asset from uh, from Dollar Financial, um, and um, basically, you know build the whole team around it uh, and at one point um they uh, you know i basically had the information from um uh, from running everline uh, which was uh uk's first uh, digital small business lender uh, i ran everline for about eight months uh, and sold it off to easy um and what i saw out there was that uh, it was three things number one cost of origination was through the roof business loans uh, as a google term search, search term was at one point the highest paid search term on Google, just to give you an indication of how uh, how overvalued that market was. Um, uh, the origination um, was very skewed. It was always uh, negative uh, selection or adverse selection, a very high cost of origination. Uh, and you didn't have the, uh, you know, the, the, the speed of application that you needed to convert those customers very rapidly. Um, so what I saw with Liberus is you, know, you have a partnership base um, you have a huge opportunity of actually building your information into that, uh, and basically what I uh, what I did is I pitched uh, pitched the shareholders and said, look, you know, this this could make a lot of sense. Um, and you know, over the course of a few months, they actually decided that that was the right uh, right way forward. And I joined uh, Liberus at that point. It was two th- October two thousand fifteen. So, what happened to the original founders? Forgive me. Right. So the original founding team, uh, they were still quite heavily involved in, in the business. Um, they also decided that, uh, you know, that uh, the view that we had, uh, that I had basically, was uh, was the right way forward. Um, and they decided that um, stepping aside was at that point the right uh, the right thing to do. So handing over the reins uh, and um, having, you know, having me uh, uh, brought into the business. So, um, you know, we're even just before I just texted to one of the, uh, one of the original uh, founding team. Um, and yeah, we still have a, a great relationship. So, right. So it's not like it was a distressed asset or it failed and you'd kind of come along to, you know, 
it was kind of doing okay, but just felt that it could be done better with you uh, at the helm. Exactly, yeah. And it was called Liberis before? Forgive me, what was it called before? (laughs) Right, so um, it's gone through many, many names. Uh, I think it was Merchant, uh, Cash Express, uh, a bunch of other names. But uh, eventually in 2014, it was decided that Liberis was going to be the, the brand name. And just to remind you, this podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme for 2021. In this special pandemic period, you can enjoy throughout the year top-level live sessions with key industry players, exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one, and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers, develop your network, create new business opportunities, and continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry. You can find out more at www.parisfintechforum.com. You mentioned you were uh, you ran uh, kind of one of the first um, kind of alternative lenders, um, and now obviously you're CEO of Liberis. But fintech's not your only passion. Uh, I'm really dying to know more about your other lives as a pilot and a cheesemaker, two careers that don't always necessarily go together. Why don't we start with the flying? <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Um, so with yeah, when I was a young boy, as as it goes with young boys, you always want to become either uh, you know an astronaut or a, or a fireman or or a pilot. Uh, so you know, I was um, quite determined that I wanted to become a pilot from age probably seven onwards. Uh, and my dad, you know, um, uh, was always bringing me to the airport. We were you know spotting airplanes, uh, all the kind of stuff. Um, and at age fourteen, I told my dad, "Look, I want to become a pilot, um, you know, and I want to enroll in uh, in in a pilot school." Um, my dad is like, well, you know, he knew me. So he said, look, if you pass your first theoretical exam for your uh, pilot license, I will pay for your, uh, for your flying, uh, flying education or flying flight school. Um, so three months later, uh, I had the little paper in my hand saying, you know, you've passed your theoretical exam, uh, first one out of seven or so. Um, uh, and, you know, of course, I waved it to my dad and my dad was like, okay, look, why don't we go have a, have a, have a fly, fly around? Um, so at age 15, I started flying, uh, doing all my exams in the evening hours, um, you know, after school, basically. Um, and at age 17, I was the youngest pilot in the Netherlands. I, I passed, um, you know, I passed my exams, uh, I think a week after I was, I was 17 or so, uh, and flying around. So I, I got, Sorry, I got, could, even could got you, a, how old do you need to be? How old do you need to be to drive in the Netherlands? 18. So you can, uh, you can fly where my dad had to bring so, me to so the you, airport. You, <laughs> <laughs> So, so you were too you were too young to drive, but you were totally fine to fly an airplane. Exactly, yeah. And that was uh, yeah, that was absolutely absolutely stunning. So uh, coming, you know, becoming seventeen and taking all my friends uh, for a round of flying, uh, but none of us could actually drive, so we had to take the, the public transportation back to back to our home city. <laughs> and as a career, that that didn't take off. If you'll excuse the pun. Uh, so the. The fun part there is um, it wasn't just becoming a pilot. I actually wanted to become an astronaut. Um, and, you know, that, that was part of the whole uh, the whole spiel. Um, and then at age uh, 17, um, I was awarded a, um, it was called a Martin Schroeder wing for youngest pilot in the Netherlands. Uh, and it was actually uh, handed out by, I think, the, back then the CEO of Martin Schroeder or the CEO of KLM, and I, I think it was. Um, and I met a whole bunch of pilots. And the interesting part was that every one of them said, look, you already, you know, you already got here. Um, you're going to be bored out of your mind by age 28. Why don't you first do a study so you have a backup? Um, so I took that to mind. Um, and you know, to be very frank, I also miserably failed uh, the KLM uh, test. Uh, so, so despite the fact that I was a, I was a pilot, I, I failed the uh, not the KLM test. Sorry, I failed the uh, the Air Force test. 
Uh, so I was slightly demotivated. I'm like, okay, like I'll first do studies and then I'll do, uh, I'll, I'll focus on becoming a pilot and then an astronaut. Um, but after my studies, I, I uh, saw the um, uh, adventure of JP Morgan uh, luring. So I, I never took off my pilot career again. <laughs> JP Morgan proved more enticing than, uh, than flying for KLM. But um, what about cheese? Tell me about cheese. You come from a, a long line of cheesemakers, I understand. Yes. So my, uh, my uh, grandfather, um, uh, basically set up his first uh, the first cheese shop um selling cheese uh from you know local farms and their own farm uh and you know they they were uh, you know relatively successful in, in setting up shops um up until uh, one of them actually uh, didn't do so well and my dad was uh 22 i think i thought this is a great opportunity um so he, he basically bought the um the cheese shop for my grandfather and set up his own uh cheese you know cheese empire um, so it's actually called Cheese Palace in, in Dutch, Kaspelijs. Uh, and, um, you know, my, my parents since 1975 have ran, uh, ran that, um, uh, that, uh, company, you know, pretty, pretty successfully, I'd say. Um, and, uh, age 18, my dad, unfortunately got really ill, uh, and my mom had a hernia. So none of them was able to work. So eventually, um, my brother and I, I was 18, my brother was seven, uh, 15 at that point. Um, my brother and I had to keep the, the, the company running. Uh, so it was, you know, 18 months of good fun, um, doing, you know, 50 hour of work weeks, uh, doing our studies on the side, uh, and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to sell cheese and, and make sure that we, uh, we kept all the, the company and 25 people, um, uh, employed. Um, so it was, you know, it was great fun. I learned a lot from it. Uh, but the best part was that during that time I set up, uh, together with my brother, a, um, a, a catering, uh, website. And this is, you know, 2000s right so early 2000s everything was you know if you had a website you were already like oh this is very technologically advanced uh, so my brother and i set up a website for ordering lunches for large companies uh, including you know the likes of uh, the local police and fire stations in, in rotterdam uh, the local offices of shell um, we had the uh, the main office of metal steel um, you know so we just went in as 18 18 and 15 year old boys uh, told them like look we can do your catering for half price and better quality um, and you know we made all the uh, all the lunches and catering we had it made in my parents company we basically ran the platform that actually did the orders and did the delivery. So it was like a, a, a you know, first just eat or first delivery, if you want to uh, call it that. And my brother is still running that. Uh, very small, very, uh, you know, very profitable, very small, uh, but, uh, but you know, it's still running 20 years later. So uh, he's, he's doing well. Does that, does that qualify as your first uh, startup then, the, uh, the kind yeah. of catering business? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was capital light. Let's put it that way. Um, we, uh, we bought a car. Um, we hired a few people uh, and, uh, you know, that, that was it, a few delivery drivers. And uh, I set up the, the, the website together with my brother uh, and you know, a few printers, a few faxes, because fax was, was still a thing back then. Uh, and and uh, you know, let's, let's keep rolling. You know, now you see food delivery, whether it's Just Eat or DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever, you know, worth billions and billions of dollars. Do you kind of look back with perhaps a little bit of regret that maybe you could have turned that into something really huge? Look, if I if I look back on all the um, the big items that I could have I could have made uh, big, I think I think I would be a very miserable man at this point. Um, you know, if I if I would have bought a bunch of bitcoins in two thousand and ten, I would have been you know an incredibly wealthy man by now. Um, I think my brother uh, my brother is able to have a very good living out of it. He he loves he loves what he's doing. Um, you know, I absolutely have zero regrets of moving to uh, moving abroad to uh, to JP Morgan. I met my wife out there. Uh, you know, we have two beautiful uh, kids, uh, three year, three year old and 18, 18 months old. Um, you know, 
I cannot look back and say that I have regrets about anything. Um, if I have any regrets, any regrets, it's more about stuff that I haven't done than stuff that I um, uh, stuff that I um, have done. Oh, well, still plenty of time uh, for that. I'm sure. But <laughs> exactly. You also went into so. So I just want to make sure I've got the the chronology correct. You were uh, you got your pilot's license, age seventeen. Uh, Eighteen, you were in the cheese. You were in the cheese business, uh, family cheese business. Then you set up the catering company with your brother, and then. After that, you went into to JP Morgan, maybe after graduating or something? Yeah, correct. So um, with, uh, at university, I was enrolled in, uh, in a dual master's program. So it was yeah, financial economics and financial law. Um, and um, you know, at that point, uh, that's why you know, it took about, took about six years rather than the, no, the normal four years. Um, so at, at you know, 2005, I started applying for, uh, for the big banks just to, you know, to see what uh, investment banking was all about. Um, and, um, you know, to my you know, big surprise, I actually got three offers, uh, at that point from, uh, UBS, Lehman and JP Morgan. And by sheer luck, I chose, uh, JP Morgan because I, I like, I really liked the team out there. Had I chosen Lehman, it would have probably been a slightly different uh, situation in 2006 to 2008. Um, but you know, JP Morgan did, uh, uh, was, it was an incredible experience. Um, f- six years of, uh, of investment banking teaches you a lot of things. Uh, especially resilience, especially, uh, you know, always keep going, um, you know, try and be as, uh, as um, uh, programmatic and, uh, uh, you know, try and be as um, uh, execution driven as possible. And, you know, sales, like you know, how to do proper, uh, proper sales. Uh, that's, that's where you learn at, um, uh, at JP Morgan as well. And then I ended up in San Francisco doing um, financial, uh, financial services and, uh, and media uh, for a year. For JP Morgan, uh, and when I came back, I, I thought, look, fintech before it was actually called fintech um, was uh, was going to be booming, uh, and that's how I, uh, you know, that's how I ended up um, trying to uh, trying to help Wonga with their IPO. Uh, that was part of uh, part of the deals that we were working on. Uh, that's how I ended up at uh, at Wonga. Oh, you worked on the on the Wonga IPO that um, that didn't quite work out, right? Correct. So, look, when I when I joined Wonga in 2011, when I signed up, uh, Wonga was still being hailed as the democratizer of finance and you know the the force for good and you know the amount of awards it won to uh, you know to help uh, you know bis- uh, customers um, uh, you know people through tough tough periods was incredible. Um, so the IPO was uh, you know we we were working on the IPO and working around the clock basically to get it all done. We even had the ticker already reserved. Um, so it was you know it was incredible uh, incredible experience. Uh, but then, of course, you know, rightfully so, the regulator stepped in and said, "Look, this is not uh, this is not going to uh, this is not the way that we want to um, uh, you know want Wonga to develop, basically, or the payday lending market to develop." Um, and then I was heavily involved in the um, uh, you know, the application for the uh, for the FCA license. So that was incredibly interesting. But of course, the, the IPO was called off, um, doing doing a year and a half of, of remediation work and and uh, going through the FCA application uh, journey. Was incredibly interesting. I learned a lot from it, um, and that's that's why right now Liberus, I run Liberus as if um, you know we're regulated, uh, just so I know that you know if the regulator comes into the market for uh, for business finance and, and uh, uh, you know regulates Liberus, I'm prepared. We're ready. Uh, and the, the one thing you know the, the, the good thing from from one guy is I've learned so many things of how not to do stuff, and that's that's probably even more important than learn how to do stuff. Uh, and so you you actually joined Wonga from JP Morgan, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So what was your what was your position there? So when 
uh, at uh, JP Morgan, I was working on the IPO on the JP Morgan side um, for for Wonga, uh, and that was you know pitching and, and status. Uh, you know, it was in the initial status of uh, of the deal, um, and then um, uh, I joined I joined Wonga as their head of business development, or their uh, back then it was uh, business development, um, and. Yeah, what we did was uh, we uh, tried to acquire assets in the US. So we looked at uh, acquiring uh, OnDeck. Uh, that was in, in the press, so I could talk about it. Um, uh, we tried to acquire, uh, in the early days, Cabbage. Uh, we acquired a, a company in Spain, um, Credit to Pocket. Uh, we set up a Polish entity. We bought a Norwegian um, uh, consumer lender called Fokia. Um, it, was, yeah, it was a super interesting and, and wild ride. Um, and the, the experiences that I've uh, learned from there is uh, twofold. Number one, you know, get your credit underwriting at all times right. Number two, make sure you do your affordability checks uh, correctly. And number three, um, make sure you um, bring the regulator along with you on the journey. Uh, don't, you know, don't upset the regulators. But how did you feel? I mean, it must have been quite a chastening experience to be head of business development at this fintech that everyone's getting excited about. And then suddenly the whole thing falls apart and... That's it. Look, when, when I joined, we all firmly believed that it was an amazing, uh, you know, amazing uh, democratizer of finance, uh, as we, um, we were calling it. Uh, it was a force for good at the very beginning. Um, it was just, it was a victim of its own success. Uh, and that was exactly the, the, the big issue. Um, and, you know, my, my character is, you know, then you rectify what you've done wrong. And that's exactly what we did afterwards um, is, you know, focus on uh, doing the right thing focus on building a company that is sustainable and uh, you know, uh, does, does check the affordability uh, correctly. Um, but even in current markets, you see, you know, look at Amigo loans. Uh, you still see that they have, they have exactly the same uh, problems with affordability checks and making sure that that's, that's all in line with, uh, with what the regulator expects from them. Um, so it's, it's an ongoing problem for credit card companies, for Klarna, the buy, buy now, pay later. The whole market is in exactly the same position. Uh, people are now calling it, we want to avoid the Wonga style kind of um, uh, over, over indebtedness for, for businesses, uh, for people. Uh, and I, I you know, wholly support that. I think that's a great uh, movement forward. And it makes, it makes the market predictable and it makes um, cowboys disappear. So from from that perspective, um, I think it was an incredibly learn, uh, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, uh, great great learning experience for me uh, to see how those regulated markets actually behave. But at the time, I just want to get a sense: like, did you feel gutted? Did you feel, oh my goodness, this is terrible. What am I going to do now? Did you think, oh, this is you know, fine? I'm going to dust myself off and move on to the next thing. Like, how <laughs> did you actually feel at the time? I think the, the, the people that that know me, um, they know that I'm incredibly resilient. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know incredibly perseverant and um you know i i felt look let's let's just get get the company back on onto its feet uh, and that's that's when i left I, I felt that we you know we we had received the fca license uh, the company were, had a future um and you know of course you you see a very successful company go down you know due to its own um uh, own issues um you know i can't blame the company or myself for it it's you know that's that's what happens you take a gamble and, and it didn't work out um, so up to the, uh, you know, on to the next one. That's you know, that's always my uh, my life you know my life motto. I would say um, you fail in someone something you learn from it. Uh, you pick it up and you 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 know you try and do a much better job the next time. And of course, investment bankers are also not always um, you know perceived to be uh, 
to use the the the, the words uh, in vogue at the time, you know, the most socially useful of of careers. Uh, whereas obviously, what you're doing now is in contrast to that. Do, what, what advice? I mean, what's the different sense of achievement that you get from, let's say, you know, advising a company on an IPO successfully at, uh, as an investment banker and lending money to small businesses, which are the backbone of, of many economies, uh, and having those real world stories and, and people come to you and say, you help them. How do you compare and contrast the different feelings of success as an investment banker and as an entrepreneur? And what would you say to other perhaps people in the banking world who might be thinking of uh, jumping ship and setting up their own fintech? <laughs> um Look, uh, yeah, the, the one thing that you get as uh, that I've always had, um, you know, you, I wouldn't say you're addicted to um, uh, to achievements, but um, I like to be busy and I like to do stuff that I can see the tangible impact of. Um, so I like to get my pilot license. I like to you know run my parents' company. I like to set up a, uh, a you know our own a little company together with my brother. Um, you know, I like to be. Uh, you know, chasing a career at, at JP Morgan and, and being an international investment banker, um, you know, and then going into fintech was actually a, a complete eye opener. And the, the one thing that I've learned from, uh, you know, from from Liberus is um, if you if you can keep your motivation and your your goals very very clear. Now, if you keep keep your goals very clear, um, you know, your motivation just follows those. Um, so right now, I know that with uh, with Liberus, with the embedded finance uh, platform that we're building, um, this is going to be a huge market. Um, according to to um, Andreessen Horowitz uh, research, uh, it's going to be a um, I think it was Bain Ventures as well. It's going to be a um, uh, you know trillions of dollars market um, uh, market opportunity. Now, even if we you know even if we um, are a small player in that, um, the opportunity for Liberus is is enormous. Uh, and coming back to that, you know, feeling of achievement, um, I, you know, I won't have that feeling of achievement until we've actually partnered with all the businesses that we have identified as our core partners. Uh, and just that, that keep on going. If you have that as an investment banker, or if you have that as a person, you probably bring that to every single job you do. So, uh, you know, I know that uh, many of my my former uh, colleagues and many of my friends are are investment bankers and thinking about you know doing the doing the step into um, into fintech. It is a leap. You're you're not you know you're not there with the mothership anymore. Uh, but it is a leap that is incredibly uh, rewarding if you can um, you know, if you can focus on what your what your goals are. Right. Well, maybe uh, Andreessen Horowitz will uh, uh, think that uh, Libris is a good uh, a good place to park some of its uh, some of its cash. Um, but in in terms of you know the skills you, you picked up as a pilot uh, as a cheesemaker. I, I mean, I'm I'm saying this only half in jest, but you know, you're obviously bringing skills from different areas into the business that you do. I'm just wondering what skills, perhaps as a part that you picked up as a pilot and that you picked up as a cheesemaker, um, were were transferable and were helpful uh, in in running an alternative lender like uh, Libris. I see the past, you know, it is a 20 years um, of of my career as a as a giant learning uh, learning experience learning curve um as a pilot you learn to uh, make checklists and be very diligent in you know if you land uh you know you, the, the the checklist that you do in your head is gumps gas undercarriage mixture um uh, uh you know p Ooh, did, now i go <laughs> parking no 
Uh, what the speed? Let me do that again. Um, Sorry, you're not a pilot anymore. Don't worry. No, don't no, worry. No, you're not a pilot I'm, anymore. I'm still, you don't I'm still need to flying, which is even worse. Like, <laughs> I've, I've actually started flying again, which uh, which yeah, during lockdown I, I managed to do uh, a lot of uh, a lot of flying actually, but during during uh, the, the pandemic, um, just because yeah, it's it's fun. It keeps my mind engaged to to do something else. Um, so look, checklists uh, are one of them. Um, you know, being resilient, uh, and you know, I can give you give you a bunch of examples of where uh, flying really scared the, the, the bejesus out of me, and uh, I had to, you know, I had to really pick myself together uh, to make sure that you don't don't panic. Uh, and then, you know, running my parents' company, uh, keeping as an eighteen year old, keeping twenty five people employed, uh, and making sure that everybody's buying into what you're what you're doing. Uh, was an early view of uh, you know what what life would be like as a CEO and running you know a company with 150 people. So uh, yeah, from all of those experiences, you you uh, you can deduct some of your uh, you know some of your behaviors later on in life. Uh, and one of them is you know never panic. Um, you know always have a plan, even if it does doesn't go according to plan. It's better if you have a plan uh, and have a backup. Uh, and that's you know flying again. Like make sure you have a backup uh, on alter- alternate airports. Make sure you have. You know, uh, you have redundancy, uh, and that's that's the kind of stuff that um, I use in my current uh, you know, current running of Libris as well. And perhaps uh, another one could be everything tastes better with with cheese. Well, was the cheese any good? <laughs> I, you know, look, it's the best cheese in the Netherlands. I'm not kidding. Um, it, it has won, uh, especially uh, the, the one that's called Old Amsterdam has won you know, the last 20 years of uh, of prizes in, in the Netherlands in terms of, of taste. It's less salty. Uh, it's you know, it's from cows in the north of the Netherlands, so they, they you know they have lots of meadows to to just graze. Uh, it's it's brilliant cheese. Uh, absolutely love it. And to to you know, I'll I'll, I'll make sure I'll. I'll um, uh, I'll, I'll ship you. Uh, I'll ship you a piece uh, just to you know, just to get the independent uh, review there. Okay. Well, I, I look for it's a Gouda, is it? Or what, what? What is it? Uh... Yeah. The, the problem is Gouda is, is the the name of all the cheeses, of course, uh, in in the Netherlands. But this is called uh, it's Beemster, which is uh, it's a northern uh, northern uh, Holland cheese. Uh, you know, very specific to the region. Um, it's it's trademarked. It's it's as specific to the Netherlands as you know, feta is to Greece, basically. So. Okay. Well, I don't want to end the interview talking about cheese. So uh, this is the question I put to everyone on the podcast uh, at the end, which is what's the weirdest or craziest thing you've built or done in your life? That's a, yeah, that's always a, a great question. I mean, I think the craziest thing I have done um, was uh, in 2004, I went to the US uh, to uh, continue part of my studies out there. Um, And together with two of my very good friends, and uh, one of them was actually joining me whilst I was getting my US pilot license. Uh, So I had my European one, I wanted my US one. And um, uh, the instructor I had out there uh, was was an absolutely crazy guy. Uh, And he said, look, we need some night flying as well to pass your your exams. I'm like, okay, fine. Like, look, I want you to first pass low over the runway because there might be alligators there. I'm like, okay, fine. Of course, lo and behold, there was a alligator in the middle of the runway. So, yeah, I t- pointed out to my friend in the back. I'm like, "Look, there's an alligator there. We need to sheer right over him, low pass, scare him away, and then we can we can land." So, whilst we're doing that, we get we get up again, doing the circuit. Halfway through the circuit, the instructor says, "Oh, by the way, now you have a, you have an engine failure and electrical failure." And he switches off the engine. He turns off all the electrics. And I saw my friend in the back, like literally, like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> and I had to land in pitch dark uh, night i had to land the plane 
on the on the runway whilst the alligator was still there. So I had to pass over the alligator, basically. <laughs> and my friend in the back, he said, I will never, ever in my entire life fly with you again. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Uh, we, we got safe on the ground. Everything was fine. Wow. Uh, but it was it was pretty scary back then. And and the alligator wasn't there kind of waiting for you when you got off the plane? No, we, yeah, we did a touch and go. So just landed, landed after him uh, and got up again. Okay. Well, on that uh, reptilian note, uh, it's been really great talking to you um, about Liberis and uh, about your previous lives as a pilot and uh, cheesemaker. Um, so Rob Stratoff, CEO of uh, Liberis, thanks so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast. Great. Thanks, Elliot. Lovely being here. Of all the fintech founders we've had on so far, I think Rob's stints as a cheesemaker and alligator-dodging pilot probably qualify him as the one with the most varied stories. Although he may never have fulfilled his ambition to become an astronaut, keeping his feet on the ground has meant helping many small business owners keep a roof over their heads. So thank you, Rob Stratoff, and thank you for listening to the FinTech podcast with me, Elliot Gotkin, now part of the Paris FinTech Forum Communities Programme. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website, www.parisfintechforum.com. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at ParisFinForum or at Elliot Gotkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next week for more of the best F in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.